welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Back here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, we are back. Uh, we are just counting down the days until the start of the 2018 season. Uh, it was a it was a weekend, a little bit, um, you know, a busy weekend in college football, especially when it comes to news and headlines. Uh, we are going to be talking about DJ Durkin placed on administrative leave at Maryland. The latest in that story, where we think it goes. We've got some uh, high profile transfers that we're going to get to. It is time for our first camp buzz, but first I want to welcome back from a little vacay. Barton Simmons, you feel refreshed? Man, I feel 100% full speed ahead. That that was, I was in Charleston, South Carolina over the weekend uh, for a long weekend, left Thursday morning, got back Sunday night, no kids. Uh, the first time with just my wife and I away from kids in about two and a half years. And it was so good. Such good food, such a good recharge. Like usually when you go on vacation at this point in my life, like I come home and it's sort of like the old, like when you go on vacation from a bachelor, like on a bachelor party and you come home and like you're basically worthless the first right. two days back, you yeah, know, like yeah. it's like you need the two extra vacation days to vacation from that vacation. That's like, a, that's like kids too. You know, you go on for a weekend and it's the most, you know, like, t- like draining, exhausting vacation you could ever imagine this is the opposite we did it right so i am like recharged energetic and yeah there was i had to do a couple little like you know side side eye under the table twitter scrolls as all this stuff was going down over the weekend because it's it's uh this is a time when we've you know getting some surprising crazy news around college football but uh you know our five or six meals a day in charleston was was the priority and and it was awesome okay so if you follow barton on twitter at barton simmons and if you were on twitter like i was during 48 hours of live blogging for the pga championship uh i saw there was a a photo of one of your meals and the commentary got me because i want i wanted to pitch this to you you said that there was you know some some i'm sure it was some of the most fun but also some of the most heated debates were about where to go for your meals is yes. this? Is there any structure to these debates? Well, it's more about how to the to position our day in a way until we would get the maximum content, the maximum <laughs> amount of meals. It would literally like one of the biggest debates we had on the entire weekend was we woke up late. We, my wife wanted to get coffee. I said by going to get coffee right now, waste we're going to waste meal. a key like. <laughs> chunk of time where we could be digging into a meal and of course the wife won so we had to get coffee we went straight into a meal but i think like we probably missed an opportunity for one additional meal over the course of the weekend for that stop and so you know, there's a couple of scheduling sort of debates that we had to have but uh all in all the food my biggest if you're ever in charleston south carolina my two favorite restaurants we hit all weekend Zao Bao Biscuit, which was unreal, and then The Ordinary, which was like the the best seafood I had all weekend of a really good weekend of seafood. But man, like I could 
I could have a podcast just on every every place we hit and all the awesome meals we had. Um, all right, so let me let me recommend this. I don't know if you've ever tried it. We uh, we will go straight bracket all restaurant decisions if they are contentious, and if we have more than four options, we're going to build a bracket. And we're going to take it like the fantasy bracket style where uh, you, you try and take all the uh, Italian or seafood places. You try and break them up. So they're going to they're not going head to head against each other. And or the seafood region or the, ta- the Italian yeah, yeah, region. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like the seafood region and the bar region. And then you sort of. And then you play it out. Filter and you, them that way. Yeah. You have a discussion about each head to head matchup. And, and sometimes we end up with what my first choice was or what. Her first choice was, and sometimes you get surprised. But it is a, uh, I, I, as, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh man, you got to, got to, got to break out a bracket when you got that many great options in Charleston. That's awesome. So the one, so I'll, but I will, we'll move on from Charleston after this. But when we were on there, one night, we were there. It was, it was a Friday night, and all week we just like, like we all day Thursday, all day Friday, we were just sort of going through, like going to all the restaurants, like doing the bike tour, or whatever. And then Charleston on like Friday night after about. 11 o'clock it turns into like this i mean all the young people <laughs> i sound like such an old like you know you dork, sound so washed <laughs> you sound so all washed. the young people like come out of like the nooks and crannies and the streets just rocking and there's all these like long lines and, and my wife convinced us to go into this place called deco oh, which yeah. was I've this club literally like i had to pay a ten dollar cover they let my wife in free there's a velvet rope the place was just bumping like this like techno music there was bottle service and like it it takes you into vegas for like this this little nugget of time and man i was so embarrassed to just like have no i had like nothing to offer that place i walked in and like brought the cool quotient down like so much (laughs) it was it was it was such a eye-opening experience like how far i've fallen because there would be a time when i'd just be I'd just be like salivating in that place, just Pavlov's dog, just ready to go. And and I just was in there and like, you know, that was $10 for about 10 minutes and we were back out, of, out on the street heading home. But it was it was a fun trip though. All right, uh, we're going to get things started. Are you ready for the first camp buzz of the 2018 preseason? Yeah, there's, there, yeah, we're buzzing. Let's buzz it. Players that are making a buzz. Camp, camp buzz. Camp, camp buzz. Just like you remembered. Yeah, man. Just like I remembered it. That's good. (laughs) That was Uh, the first jingle. Yeah, okay. So you ready for buzzing? Yeah, let's buzz. Let's buzz. Let's buzz. Let's so the everyone's talking about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. And of course, if you listen to our podcast, probably the quarterback that is most likely among this freshman class to make the impact is JT Daniels at USC. And we've been hyping him. And you know what? Sometimes it feels like we should temper the expectations for a true freshman quarterback, no matter how good he's supposed to be. But I don't know, man. JT Daniels is going to make it tough on us to do that. When first scrimmage of the preseason – on Saturday, the dude trots out there and goes 10 of 12 for touchdowns. I know, but this is scrimmage stats. It is scrimmage stats, but 10 of 12 for touchdowns? Like, what? 
I don't care if it's on air. Like that's yeah. pretty good. Like you, you throw that, you have those stats at elite 11 and you've got uh stump out here talking about what a good impression you made. Yeah. I'd say that's a good, that's a pretty healthy start to things. If you're the heir apparent at USC, but I, I, honestly, maybe even more impressive, maybe more exciting among those four touchdowns, three were to his high school teammate, fellow true freshman, Amon Ross St. Brown, who was the number one or two wide receiver in the country, uh, according to 24-7 Sports and the Composite. So that's, I think, if you're USC, like to, to me, USC is really interesting because no one's really talking about them. And sure. I think that's, you know, there's no, I mean, I think everyone thinks they're a good team, but no one's necessarily penciling them into the playoffs, right? And I don't necessarily think we should. I mean, they do have a true freshman quarterback and who is going to be really good, but still. But that said, like, Amon Rob St. Brown is probably the most college-ready true freshman and wide receiver in the country. He's a, a bunch of those catches and touchdowns were, like, in traffic, physical plays. They've got they, – they've recruited really well. I mean, if you – like, I know that um, Ronald Jones is gone, but, I mean – Everyone that watched Stephen Carr take a take a carry last year knows how explosive that guy is at the at running back. Um, you know they've got Tyler Vaughn's back at receiver. They've they return a bunch on the offensive line, and now you've got like a guy like Austin Jackson stepping in at offensive tackle, who came in as like a 260 pound former basketball player, five star, true freshman who just you know he's going to need a little bit of time. And now the buzz over there is that he is is stepping into that role as as a five-star future NFL left tackle. And I just sort of look around this USC roster and Jay Tufele is popping early on at a four or five-star defensive tackle. Um, The Port Augustine out early with injury. And, and yet that linebacking core is one of the best in the country. Cameron Smith's healthy, right? Cameron Smith's healthy. A a kid named uh, Kanai Mauga is absolutely balling as a true freshman. I've got some great stories about him from the recruiting process. Uh, but I just think USC is – I mean, I, I'm, I'm sort of I'm, – I'm stacking this on the foundation of that JT Daniels, I'm going performance. But they're, they're an exciting team when you just talk about purely the names that they've accumulated from the recruiting trail and the guys that have a chance to, to step forward this year. So – if you're looking for like a dark horse out there, I, I really believe USC could be it, 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 particularly if JT Daniels is what we think he is. I've got a bold thought that is not going to change my expert predictions when we have to fill out uh, who we think is going to be making the college football playoff, but it would not surprise me if USC, given all its young talent, and given the fact that they probably are going to take some lumps at some point throughout the season, and like you said, no one's calling for 12-0. and 0. I don't think anyone's even calling for 11-1. and 1. But if USC wins the South and get, like, USC could beat Washington in the Pac-12 championship game and keep the Huskies from the playoff, especially if you consider that JT Daniels, you know, under, under the working theory that JT Daniels is going to be much, much, much better in November and December than he's going to be right out the gate and if that's the case, then that 
that just makes them like the fact that USC would be a spoiler is not a bad thing. If you're if you're only invested in the future of the Pac-12, then maybe you're a little bit nervous about it. But no one no one outside of the Pac-12 league office is there. We just we want good college football, and USC is going to be much more dangerous at the end of the year than they're going to be at the beginning of the year. Absolutely, and and if you think about it too, like I don't know, I I've got. Texas beating USC early in the season like the Notre Dame game I think I gave to Notre Dame like there's there's a, there's gonna be some spots where it's gonna get tough but the team itself is still gonna be awesome right but I but I guess my point is you know there, there's a couple games they're, they're at Stanford and at Texas early in the year I think my, the way I've got their schedule working out is I think they maybe I maybe have them losing both of those and one more somewhere along the way at Utah I think I picked them and going nine and three but the reality is like if USC is better than we think they are early in the year and they get through that Stanford Texas stretch like if they start 3 and 0 with wins at Stanford and wins at Texas all right now you look at their schedule they don't play Washington from the other side and and they don't play Oregon from the other side and now you're looking at their schedule and you're like well holy crap like can they run the table here I mean, so it's going to be a really telling early season because, and again, you would expect there's a team that would be better at the tail end of the season than the, at the beginning. So I, I just think the camp buzz here is JT Daniels is, is starting out hot and Amon Ross St. Brown is as advertised. And I think given that camp buzz, it's just this is a team that could excite some people and I think more people should probably pay attention to. Players that are making a buzz. You mentioned the Oregon Ducks. What's going on in Eugene? Uh, so I think the, the early flash from the true freshman section of the camp is Adrian Jackson. He's a kid out of Colorado who is a four-star kid who is, you know, I think – comes one of those guys that just doesn't come just big like he comes physically rocked up like looking like a college dude right from the jump and he's a guy that seems as though he's gonna really compete not just for playing time but like a really meaningful role on that defense but I think the more general bigger sort of perspective that I'm gaining from Oregon is if you're and, and I predicted Oregon to go 9-3. and three. I predicted to have a pretty good year, uh, and I think they'll be pretty good. And, and, it's, and, and most of that is around Justin Herbert. But I just – as I look at the way they're building this program, and it's the, the, the perfect the, – the ideal sort of framework for this and outlook on this is it's all the, the, the makings of a great Oregon team in, t- in the sense that, like, they're still going to be wide open. They're still going to be fast-paced. They've got – some um, continuity and the coaches staff and the coordinators, Jim Levitt's still there, all that. And then I think what potentially, if you're an Oregon fan, you're hoping is the sort of special sauce here is, all right, maybe let's say Cristobal adds a physical element to this program that Oregon maybe hasn't always had because they're recruiting huge dudes on the offensive line. And, they're appearing to be pretty physical in practice so far. Like they, they seem to be, you know, 
really kind of button heads and 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 popping pads and 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 getting after it on that front. And so like I think the the idea here that if like there's a culture shift in terms of like almost a physical fast-paced team, I just that that's to me that's like the all right. Do you believe the early preseason energy and 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 hype coming out of of Oregon? Or is it just sort of, hey, it's the same old Oregon, whatever. So I'm just very fascinated by it. I think the camp buzz for Oregon is Adrian Jackson looks like the truth at linebacker and will play right away. But I'm also sort of intrigued by the camp buzz surrounding the physicality and the size that they're adding across the board at Oregon. Which, like, you know, shouldn't, I guess, you know, as, as we take a step back, and I think that you and I, you know, I have to admit some guilt. I, I wasn't raving about the Mario Cristobal hire but if if that's the case and that's the way that this is going to go we need to remember that Mario Cristobal you know coached the offensive line at Alabama for four years and and, you know was an offensive tackle at Miami and if he's if he is putting his imprint on Oregon and that's going to come in the in the idea of sort of a ramped up physicality you you know who what that's good to I mean it doesn't zig or zag but that that's a great way to compete with Stanford that's a great way to compete with Washington. Washington's got big old boys in the, in the trenches. Like I don't think that Oregon, when it looks at the other teams that are at the top of the Pac-12 North, you know that you could try and go the other way. But if Cristobal's image is no, we're we're gonna get we're gonna play fast, but we're gonna be really really physical and big in the trenches. That that seems like a way that they might be able to uh, close a gap that's been separated. I guess you know since Marcus Mariota left where it does seem like Stanford and Washington are pulling away. Yeah, and, and I think everyone's always sort of trying to and, – and let's be clear, too. Like, I'm not sitting – I agree with you. Like, we were both a little bit like, yeah, Cristobal hire, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. Um, and I, this isn't me saying we were – man, we should have been raving about it. No, we'll wait and see. I, the, we, you know, we, we still we, wait, we wait and see. see. Yeah. But I think it, that's the interesting, like, lens to look at it through. And I do think everyone's always looking for a way to straddle this – how do we modernize our offense and still maintain a physical mindset? And it just, it seems like Oregon has a chance to maybe find a good balance there because Levitt is still an old school coach too, defensively. And there's going to be, you know, those practices are going to be physical. And that's part of it much as much as anything is not just, is having a wide open offense and finding a way to still give your defense physical looks uh, on a daily basis. And and so my my hunch is that at very least practice is still going to be make these guys tougher in, in Eugene as opposed to just basketball and grass wraps all day long. So it's a it's interesting. Like I I'm I'm very fast like like color me fascinated by what's going to happen at Oregon, and I, I I'm I'm anxious to see what this team looks like. Players that are making a buzz. Camp, camp buzz, camp, camp buzz, camp, camp buzz, talking about players that are buzzing. So at Miami, you gave an early call. Oh, here, you just take the lead on this. You're the buzz master. What's what's buzzing <laughs> uh, down in with the Hurricanes? Okay, so a couple things. I think one, it appears Malik Rozier is. He's the guy. He's the clear. He's the clear guy right now. Whether he keeps that job throughout the year, who knows? But he's the clear guy right now. Um, 
the guy that appears to be making some moves is Nikosi Perry, who has always been someone that we've known as very talented. It was just a matter of, you know, finding his way in the offense, um, neck up type of stuff. So, you know, that's that's the race to watch there. I think my bigger takeaway from Miami is 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 twofold. One, Jeff Thomas is really flashing. He was a sophomore this year. He flashed some last year too. Yep. But it, it, it sounds like Jeff Thomas is, is is sort of taking a next step forward as a – and I think he can be a Christian Kirk kind of guy in terms of what his, his talent level is and his role in an offense. But I think as I look at Miami and, – and, man, if they had a quarterback that I was really excited about, this team would be – I'd be you know, buying all the Miami stock. Because when you look at the way their their skill is set up, all right, if Jeff Thomas takes a step forward and 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 continues to emerge, that's big. If I'm in, if if I'm in Richards, Amon Richards is because remember he was hurt a lot of last year, and in that first freshman year, he was probably the best one of the best true freshman receivers in the country. Um, he had almost a thousand yards receiving as a true freshman. So if Amon Richards is same guy we remember. If Jeff Thomas takes a step forward, you got Lawrence Cager, who's another big outside threat. Then you got the young guys coming in, like Mark Pope, true freshman. And and I think this this is like a just becoming a really loaded receiving core. Travis Homer has really, I think, broken away from the pack at the running back position, and he is a big play, talented dude. So now I'm just looking around, and their offensive line is massive, but the skill guys around them are special and now I'm starting and we all kind of are already excited about their defense and now I'm sort of I'm I'm just like you start to get excited about Miami but then you just circle back and like all right well what's the quarterback look like so that's I think the really interesting thing for Miami right now and 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 again the campus takeaway is is Jeff Thomas it could could be a breakout star this year but the other campus takeaway on the defensive side of the ball and as good as they're going to be on defense it sounds like Gerald Willis is emerging as like a uh, a baller and a leader on that defense. And for those that have followed the Gerald Willis path, this is Landon Collins's brother, half brother, um, and from Louisiana, uh, you know, committed to Florida instead of LSU, has had some off-field issues, has has gotten kicked out or or you know de-enrolled or whatever the phrasing is I mean I, I don't know how to term all the things that have gone on off the field with Gerald Willis but you know he was a class of 2015 recruit that feels like he's been in college for seven years and and if he can sort of have a breakout year I mean, he was a five-star kid if he can have a true breakout season that's a huge addition to that Miami defense too so I'm just very I'm very bullish on all the tools around Miami everywhere except for the quarterback position, which I think we're still learning about. Dismissed for multiple transgressions, um, suspended more than once at Miami, and a leave of absence from even playing football in 2017. Right. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and to your point, he's a 22-year-old. He's an adult. Yeah. Like this is, and, uh, and, and this is a story from the spring by the great uh, S- Susan Miller Degnan, of the Miami Herald. I had a lot of personal issues to handle off the field so I could make a comeback. 
I just had a lot of family issues. Had to get my mind right so I could be able to focus this year. It worked out. I'm a changed person. I'm a changed man. And I'm starting, and this was in April, to become a better player. Starting to become a better player at <laughs> 22. But hey, man, better late than never. And he is, he was a five-star. Like, he was a no-doubt talent. And so this is one of those that we had sort of written off, or I had in my head, like, well, this guy's going to be a bust. I mean, he's just not, he can't, he can't stay on a roster. And now all of a sudden, if he's stepping forward into not only just a player, but a leader on a team, that's huge. Especially because uh, they had lost two, they had lost two or three key defensive linemen on that, out of that group. They're still really, really good, but yep. they were definitely needing uh, to have a veteran presence there is going to be able to bridge the gap to some of those talented younger guys that I'm sure will be like absolutely ready to go compete for ACC championships next year. But having him now, that's awesome. Barton. Oh, sorry. I was I was expecting that to be like the end of our camp buzz that for this section, then another camp buzz jingle. Uh, but yes, I mean, I, that, that, <laughs> do, you, that, do you want me to play it one I, more time? I can play it one more time. Play, we'll give it one more time and the, yes, as, as, as a fade out. Yeah. As a fade out. Players that are making a buzz. Camp, camp buzz. Camp, camp buzz. Camp, camp buzz. But Camp Buzz is going to pick up and uh, over the next this week. Truly, we'll have more Camp. We'll let, we should have we'll have Camp Buzz every show. There you go. Um, okay. okay, so we have to talk about DJ Durkin, and and I don't say have to as a, a matter of the fact that I don't want to or feel like it's not needed. It's just it is not a very fun story because it ties directly to the death of former offensive lineman Jordan McNair hospitalized after a workout in late May. He died in the middle of June. It was a few weeks later. The immediately Maryland put two staffers on administrative leave and started to investigate um, everything tied to the workouts and the way it was handled then on Friday, ESPN releases a report with former staffers offering quotes and current players offering quotes, uh, almost all of it anonymous, that indicated what ESPN alleged was a toxic football culture uh, with verbal and mental abuse from the players, particularly centered on uh, strength and conditioning coordinator Rick Court, and also on head coach DJ Durkin himself. So uh, the report comes out on Friday. Then on Saturday, Maryland Athletic Director Damon Evans announces that there will be another investigation into the allegations of the report, which he condemned those uh, those actions by a staff member. And... You know, now DJ Durkin's placed on administrative leave uh, while they look into this. So Maryland has uh, this is this is spun forward in a way that has made Maryland yet another. Um, you know, the, in the Big Ten East, we've got two very very different um, stories with Ohio State and Urban Meyer, and then with DJ Durkin at Maryland. Yet they are linked because, you know, we are talking about them. But Barton, to me, where do you start on the situation at Maryland as it stands right here on Monday? I think the the question that I that I would have first is 
and and I pose this to you, and I and I'm and I'm I'm actually curious what your answer is. Like, do you think if you remove Jordan McNair's death from from this equation, and I don't I don't say that to diminish it, I just say that to to see if because I think it is obviously very a very important part of this, this equation. But I'm just curious if if McNair's death isn't part of this story, do we have a story? No. Like, is are the allegations are the allegations fireable or um, investigation warranting without the death involved? And I'm I'm just curious what your answer would be on that. No, because the from a journalistic standpoint, um, there is a, a tragic event. There is a journalistic um, imperative to start asking questions. And as they started asking questions, this is what they got now. Right. So I'm saying, let's assume that that stuff that they got, they got, they just started coming out regardless. So let's just say that information is there. Do you, do you believe that DJ Durkin and Rick Court's jobs would be in jeopardy again, minus the, the obviously tragic death of a player, but let's remove that from the equation. Just given the allegations, do you believe their job should or would be in, in jeopardy? Yes, I do. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So uh, let's start there. Because um, I'm not sure it would be, but I, I'd like to hear your perspective. So as, as the, the general gist, without just reading the whole story, the, the whole report, coaching environment based on fear and intimidation, um, belittling, humiliation, um, there's, there's the eating, like they forced guys to eat candy bars while other guys were working out as a form of punishment, um, verbal abuse, mocking kids, masculinity and things like of that nature, um, forcing guys to overeat to the point of vomiting those. All right. So, and, and anything else you want to throw in there, tell me what sort of your perspective is on that relative to their job status? Oh, it's, it's just in, in 2018, you cannot have all of the hazing brought to light and not have punishment. It's just, right. you just can't. I mean, the same, same thing happens in fraternities and same thing happens in uh, all kinds of organizations, particularly when uh, the ones who are being punished are like actually on of a, a, a lower status and yet still high importance. I mean, these are student athletes that are, are signing up willingly. And so I the fact that there were players and staffers who were willing to share this information with ESPN more than anything told me. It's like, well, man, if, if that's the case, then DJ Durkin might not have a great hold on this locker room. Um, sure. And if you don't have uh, a great hold on your locker room, then, you know, people are going to be more willing to complain. I mean, there was a quote from one of the current players offered to ESPN that said you would have think they learned their lesson. I mean, these are players who, uh, according to the report, are on the roster 
that are just trying to be whistleblowers and just take it all down. And I think that when you're trying to lead a team or whether you're trying to lead a corporation or whether you're trying to get everybody on the same page, there's something about your management style as the one in charge that if you are creating this type of sentiment in any corner of your roster, then you don't, you're not doing something quite right. Like you're not hitting the exact right buttons. And I don't fall. Like, I don't, I don't think DJ Durkin, uh, I don't, I don't say like, Oh, he should be fired. And I don't feel personally moved by this, but putting myself in the place of athletic director, Damon Evans, in this case in 2018, if those allegations are proven to be true, then, I mean, we, we fired Mike Rice for throwing basketball at a team at his players. Like there's, right. this is, this is just the way it goes when it comes to player abuse in college sports. I mean, they are student athletes and if you're going to make all this case about them being amateurs, we can't have the professionals just uh, absolutely making life miserable for those amateurs when they're already getting, in my opinion, a raw end of the deal. Yeah, and I get that. And I think that's your – I mean, I agree. From an athletic director's standpoint, I guess I, I, I do hear that and, and probably agree with that point. I guess sort of what I'm driving at is I just – part of me doesn't really – doubts that this is that um rare like i i feel like this is probably i guess that's the difference it's sort of we're seeing you're seeing all the sausages made here i mean they're, they're pulling back the curtain and if you, we pull back the curtain and we saw all the sausages made at every program all over college football we'd see a lot more of this um than people maybe care to to realize and that doesn't mean they sh- that that should be something that takes place um but I think the reality is it does take place, and this probably is more normal than people realize. I mean, they, you know, some of the some of the allegations were that they're belittle and humiliate and embarrass players. I mean, that I, I can guarantee you that happens all over the place. Right. And that's not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to play in that. I wouldn't want my kids to play in that. But it happens. Um, you know the, you know, weight coach throwing stuff at kids. Uh, I mean. I bet that ha- that that happens, um, and so I think all that said, you're right. Like now, it is it, it has come to light, and if I'm Damon Evans, I don't think that's how I want my program to be run. And certainly, there's not a lot of parents out there that are reading this and saying, "I want my kid to go there." That's the kind of discipline I'm looking for, um, but. I think the other point here, and I, I, I think the bigger point is, all right, how much did this culture of sort of, you know, shaming kids into finishing every rep and, and sort of placing an, placing an em- emphasis on the on that grind at the expense of player safety? How much did that mentality? play into the death of a kid in Jordan McNair, which, and that's, that is to me the bigger question. And if they can sort of, if the signs point towards any of that being true, then I don't, I, I don't see how you can keep him or, and certainly the, the strength coach be out. And, and it sounds like DJ Durkin was actually at the workout now. And there was, I mean, I don't want to get into the, the, the minutia of that instant, because I just don't I haven't read up enough to know, but it sounds like 
there was an hour that took place. Yeah, the, the timing. Passed out. And, yeah, the timing of uh, Jordan McNair passing out and what the reaction was from the coaches and the staff and the time between that and when the 911 call was made is a big part of the family's argument. They have not brought and then there's a the legal side. Like they haven't sued the University of Maryland yet. They say they're waiting for the end of the investigation, but I mean, the family is lawyered up and prepared to take action. And and I think you have to make that kind of decision as a university as well. Right. So it's not it's it's this is this is ugly and I I think DJ Durkin's probably going to be gone, don't you? Oh yeah. Um yeah. All right, so this is this I I wanted to get into this too because there is the this goes on everywhere angle to it. And I think back to the Alabama barbershop video with all those former players talking about, you know, how many times they were they almost quit. And I I had this idea and I I'm, I hope this isn't like misguided and I promise I do not mean it as a disrespect to the University of Maryland players. But isn't it possible or isn't it true that you cannot coach every single college football player the same? And that especially when it comes to, you know, physically being able to push your limits, that the university, uh, that the run of the mill Maryland Terrapin, there are going to be some physical differences from what you're going to have there than what you would have at Alabama. Well, one of my biggest – I think there was a takeaway I got from this that, that concerned me a little bit. There was like – I can't remember if there were specific quotes or it was just um, it was just framed to where you could sort of tell what they were talking about. But it appears that part of this was this idea of DJ Durkin took over. They needed to change the culture. They needed to run some players off, right? Like they needed to – basically grind these guys down and find out who were who were the toughest guys and 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 sort of get rid of the the weaker ones and i think you hear that all over college football new staffs come in you know we've got to we got to find our guys and run some guys off and i think conceptually like i don't have a problem with that i mean you're typically teams are coaches are fired because teams wasn't cutting it and if a team isn't cutting it, a big part of that is just the culture and the the work ethic and the guys that are leaders in the program and 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 those guys aren't cutting it because they, they've been taught wrong. And and so I understand running guys off. I think where there's where you sort of have to, to differentiate is if you are trying to find the guys that are willing to work the hardest and and get rid of the guys that aren't, I think you have to draw that line if you are targeting specific players and specifically trying to run specific players off. Like that to me is dangerous. That to me is, is unfair. That to me is, um, is, is unhealthy. And there was, there was some, some of the reporting made it appear as if Maryland was actually targeting specific players and, and be like that, whatever that guy would, was going to do, wasn't going to be good enough because they wanted him off the roster. Maybe because he just wasn't, wasn't good enough for their team. And that to me is, is unhealthy, unfair, un, un, you know, uh, not, not going to cut it. And so 
to that end, like I've got a problem with that. I, can you like to your question, like can you sort of take Alabama's model and just? And I wasn't. I, I don't parallel. know anything about the way that Alabama's uh, strength coach, strength and condition. I don't know any. I do not know any of the specifics there. But it's the idea that like you can't. Uh, you you got to coach the JV team different than the varsity, and and Maryland football players are like DJ Durkin came from Michigan and Florida. If he had Michigan and Florida expectations, he he wasn't gonna. Ne- I don't know if you can make people into Michigan and Florida players. I think you have to recruit those players. Well, I don't know. I don't know. That's a tough question. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. Like, I think you you have a an expectation level in terms of the level of work you're that like because I think I think the great teams are. They are setting an expectation level and not letting guys that they're they're forcing guys to meet it. And that expectation level isn't about like you always hear process over results. Like it's not about the result, it's about the process. And so I, I would wonder though, how many of those elite teams that we think of in our head, those blue bloods, those the the or just the really successful teams over the past several years. I would wonder how many of those, they all have a, a, a culture in place that really pushes guys to the extreme. But I wonder how many of them have a culture in place that they, like like Will Muschamp in a pretty misguided presser, he did say something that was, I thought, um, what was, was I thought was a good phrase, is, is coach the performance, or, or critique the performance, not the performer. Sure, yes. Uh, something like that. So like I think if you like if you are if you are getting personal that that's never that's never necessary right if you are if you are belittling people like these kids as people that's never that's never gonna there's never a valid reason to do that that's that's a weak excuse for coaching and and it it, it appears that that was a big part of this program at at Maryland and I don't think I would be surprised if that was part of the process at any of the pr- programs that we really respect in terms of the way they do things. I could not see this happening at Clemson under Dabo's watch. I think things are intense. I think the tenor is different. Like the tone and the tenor of the way you push people can be different than the way it was displayed. Again, than the way it was displayed by ESPN.com in this article. So allegedly I'm right. throwing, I'm throwing allegedly as anywhere I can. Got to protect yeah. myself, but yeah. uh, the the picture that was painted wasn't good. And if the University of Maryland's investigation finds uh, sources within that program that are willing to corroborate those stories, then uh, yeah, I don't. I think DJ Durkin's out. But yeah, uh, yeah. Do you, how about this? As as we've had the latest twists and turns in Ohio State which to me got a little bit gossipy over the weekend. As yeah, like I wanted to say that like just to be clear for all the listeners, we're probably not going to start digging into every twist and turn and <laughs> and you know, unmasked source and innuendo and like and and new quote like it's there there may be a time to sort of you know, at re digest the entire thing, but probably smart for us to not have a <laughs> have a daily urban update until all the info is available and we can really cast a final judgment. I don't think that Tom Herman was the tipster 
but I did laugh at the idea that he was. Well, and the, and I shouldn't was, laugh. I shouldn't laugh. I, I, how about this? I did smirk because that would be so college football. It, well, it would, and and I actually my initial reaction, my initial reaction to the Tom Herman tipster stuff was watching him mock Drew Locke on the yes. sideline and, and just thinking, well, he's, I mean, that's not above him. Yeah, so yeah, he definitely not, would. But uh, but ultimately, though, I would be like. The idea that Tom Herman is out here tipping off Brett McMurphy because he lost a recruit to Ohio State out of the state of Texas and Garrett Wilson, which is like what some reporters were insinuating and, and is absurd. And it's certainly absurd considering the kids from Ohio. And like, so that's the stuff like, yeah, you know what? Maybe it comes out that Tom Herman was his tip, but, but, I, but I, I, I'm certainly not going to. You know, we're not going to spend the show analyzing, <laughs> analyzing that or what we think of Tom Herman's alleged tip. I do think that Urban Meyer is going to coach at least some games for Ohio State this year. That's my latest prediction. Yeah, I think I'd gotten there by the by the last time we talked. Is just sort of feeling like he was he was on that track, uh, and and as we sit here today on Monday, August thirteenth, nothing's. I, I still feel like he's he's probably going to coach again. And he's he's going to the but the villain status on Ohio, on Urban Meyer is you know because he had sort of he had gotten a little villain status at Florida mm-hmm. and he had he had chipped away at that I think to a degree to where he had lost it a little bit uh, I think he's full on villain after at the end of this deal from from outside of Columbus obviously but nationally he's going to be a He's not going to be a well-liked coach. Yeah, next time he tries to hit me with that E plus R equals O, he can walk that down the street. <laughs> well, we always say yeah, E plus R equals O, event plus response equals outcome. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, one of the uh, bigger bigger news uh, for on-field, particularly as we look at the national championship race, as the SEC championship race, uh, holy cow, uh, one of the, I don't know, like if 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 healthy, you know, we were talking earlier about uh, Amon Richards being able to reclaim his uh, explosive freshman year. If Demetrius Robertson is able to recapture what he's already shown, then this could be one of the most impactful uh, additions and twists and turns that we have in all of college football as he was ruled eligible to play for Georgia in 2018. Do you know how many thousand yard receivers Georgia has in its history? In its history? I'm going to say four. One. Is it AJ Green? No. AJ Green, AJ Green had a 900 yard season and two 800 yard seasons, but never had a thousand yard season. It came in 2002. It's the only one they've ever had. Who was Terrence, it? Terrence Edwards. And is that a David Green team? 2002, I think was, uh, gosh, it would I, I would think so. Or right? DJ Shockley, because I think we went from Green to Shockley, maybe. Uh, yeah, 2002 would have been. I don't know. It would have been. Yeah, I would have think it would have been Green, but I don't know. So all right, but that that you get my point on that. Yes. Like they don't they don't have they don't have thousand yard receivers. Like they don't have that big time threat, and that's that's. That's kind of cultural. I mean, at, at Georgia, 
and they certainly didn't have it this year. And and I I I think Javon Wims though was a really valuable weapon for them as a bailout jump ball, you know, big receivers are always open type of guy. And he's gone. And obviously Michelle and Chubb are gone. And and so Jake Fromm needs to take a step forward as a passer. Doesn't need, he doesn't need to turn into still need to turn into Art Browse Baylor stuff, but he needs to take a step forward as a passer. And yet I'm looking at the receiving core and like you know, the, the the crew coming back, there's not really a guy there that you're super confident in can be that bell cow receiver. Um and I think that Demetrius Robinson Robertson has that that talent, that ability. So to me, that's a like to me that's a huge, huge addition. Um, that said, he's like he comes from a cow system that's spready, and he's going to come into a more of a pro style system. He was a he was more of an he was almost as much an athlete as he was a receiver in high school, and so. I don't. I think he he is a absolute burner, take the top off the defense guy. Of course, they've kind of already got that in place uh, with Miko Hardman and and um, uh, Terry Beckner and uh, or not Terry Beckner, um, Terry Godwin uh, and some of those guys in place. But <clears throat> so I'm curious. Basically, I, what I'm saying is like I'm curious how polished of a receiver he is. If he if he's a polished receiver that can actually get open, um, this could be like. That sort of inch here and there that's the difference between them just winning the East and playing for another national title. You want, uh, you want to see routes one through eight. You know he has nine. You just want to right. see the rest. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and that's not to say like, – I just don't – I'm not sure. And, and he's talented enough to be – he was the number one receiver in the country. That I, I ranked him as the number one receiver of the country in our rankings. So he's, he's absolutely talented enough to be that dude. I'm just curious how he's evolved over the last couple of years stepping into a pro-style system. But he's going to be dangerous. There's no question about it. He's going to be a really dangerous dude. This is great for my bold Jake Fromm Heisman pick. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's go. How, how, do you fa- how do you rest live with yourself when you're going under on a Georgia win total picking Jake Fromm for Heisman? Well, boy, it's one twisted, confused world. But we, you know, I'm not the one who decides the games. I'll tell you what, they, they, Jake Fromm's going to have a couple of sixty-yard tunnel screens to this dude, where you throw it, throw it five yards, and he gets sixty-five in the in the stat sheet. So that'll help your uh, that'll oh, help your movement. Yes, some some good. I mean, isn't Miko Hardman going to kind of do that too? That's what I'm saying. Like, I think like in some ways, Demetrius Robertson comes in here, and, and Miko Hardman is like, if you really wanted, I mean, this is this Demetrius Robertson is one of the top talents in the country at the receiver position I believe and yet I think what you you know if if, if they get Amon Richards or I, I don't know AJ Brown or I mean it, like it'd be nice if they had a different receiver coming in than one they already have which I think he this kid is a to me a rich man's Miko Hardman uh, better version of him but you're right. Like I think that there are some some the skill sets overlap a little bit. All right. Uh, also, we have the uh, the arrival at Alabama of Ale Cajo. 
a former Washington commit or player? Commit. He enrolled. He 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 was at Washington over the summer, but wasn't enrolled because he was trying to get one more class cleared. He was trying to get a foreign language credit, and he. I guess I don't know whether he just didn't ever end up completing that credit or whether he just sort of said screw it I don't really want to anymore but he he never got that credit left you don't need that credit at Alabama (laughs) (laughs) is this this is where we got to put the jokes in I mean I'm sorry like I'm I'm sure that this is going to be a player that provides a lot of good depth uh you know in the defensive front but uh but Nick the jokes are just writing themselves dog yeah yeah um so yes, Alabama has deemed it unnecessary to be able to speak Spanish or French in Tuscaloosa. He can come just as an English speaker, and uh, he is uh, he. But but this, I mean, again, like this is a guy when he signed with Washington. Now he was coming off an injury, so he had to get healthy. But assuming he was going to be able to get healthy, this is a kid. Even knowing how good Washington was going to be this year, had a chance to compete for like first team opportunity. He's that good. I think he like he was he was our number one linebacker in the country this past year, in, in the twenty four seven sports rankings. Now, the other thing he's dealing with, he had his parents got a divorce. His aunt and uncle both died this spring. He's lost twenty pounds, and so there's some I think some personal hurdles he has had to to jump over to be prepared. So he's going to come in. And he's, I, I'm less bullish on him playing as a true freshman than I was. Because he's got to gain weight and get in shape again and be physically ready, but when and if if and when rather that happens, like this dude is a stud. He is really good, really athletic, and and Alabama kind of you know they they could use a little more depth dude. in that linebacker room. Yeah, and so he's he's whether he's a four game redshirt or a, a, an eventual second teamer. I think I think Ali Caho is going to be on the field for Alabama this year and 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 some some meaningful moments does he have is he interior he's an inside linebacker but probably could could be an, an outside linebacker guy but yeah i think he's he is in the mold of the inside linebackers position for alabama because inside for the tides defense it's really what mac wilson dylan moses and that's about it that's about it yeah Man. so i mean again like he as long as they can get him going as long as they can get him to learn the defense which is not, i mean that's a big if as long as they can get him physically back in, in shape and 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 muscled up again, um, I do I do believe that he's the type of kid that is good enough to get on the field. Uh, one more SEC transfer. Uh, it was official. I felt like Dan Mullen was talking about it earlier this month, uh, but one last announcement, just saying that uh, all the you know T's have been crossed and I's have been dotted. It is Van Jefferson arriving uh, as a wide receiver at Florida. This is a, a really, really good wide receiver crew on its face. Um, I I look at Van Jefferson and I think that this was like you have mentioned his name a lot, probably more so than than most people when they've been looking at what Florida was going to be. Do I mean? Do you see any issues with him being able to to find his way in, and and how does he fit with the rest of that group? I think he's the most polished receiver on that on that roster. I think Van Jefferson is whether he's he's I'd probably he's probably not the like the top pro prospect on that roster, but in terms of a guy that understands how to run a route, how to get open, um, I think he's he's a kid that is probably the one seed 
on that roster. Wow. And so that's a, I think that's another pretty big addition. I'm not saying he's going to be like their leading receiver, but I'm saying he, he absolutely has a role. He'll, he'll be valuable for them. And, uh, and so again, it, that, that's just another weapon for this question mark quarterback position at Florida. They've, they've got a really good receiving group. I mean, they really do. I mean, Kadarius Tony, Tyree Cleveland, now Van Jefferson. Um, they, they've, this is, they've got a bunch of guys that can catch passes and make plays. So I just keep on looking at Florida, and, and if, if you trust Dan Mullen at all at quarterback, don't let that fool with it. Were they 4-8 and eight last year? What, were they, what was the record last year? 4-7. and seven. They missed four and one seven. game. Yeah. Yeah, don't let that 4-7 and seven record fool you now. I, I still think this is like a 9-3 and three team this year. Are, are you lo- As we have gained confidence in Georgia and Florida, are you losing any in South Carolina? No, I'm not because I still like I've I've well, no, I, in fact, I'm still think that even as I'm gaining confidence in Georgia, I still think they could lose that that a week two game to South Carolina in Columbia because I still think South Carolina's like they're doing things the right way, too. They've they're building this program the right way, too. And they've got they've also got a lot of receivers back and they've also got um, uh, they, they do have a. Uh, a better quarterback than Florida has. And so, I mean, right now, like my penciled in prediction is like, I think I had Georgia 11 and one, nine and three, South Carolina, nine and three, Florida. So there's room for all three of them to be good teams. Um, and I could, I could see, I could see any of them beating the others. Really. Florida's the team I can't trust of that trio right now. Yeah. Not quite ready. Like, what what's your what's your hesitation defensive what's your, defensively they return a bunch yeah but like what is that like is is that a good thing last last I, year was as bad defensively as i can remember florida being in the last eight years minimum they started like it was it was yeah, it was a defense that no longer had was chock full of all the must champ guys. They started to transition some of those guys out, but I mean, there were still. I mean, Jabari Zuniga's nasty. CC Jefferson's na- like there are individual players. Um, uh, what's what's Chauncey Gardner's double name? Yeah, yeah, I can't remember now. Yeah. That's new, right? Like he used to just go by Chauncey Gardner, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still right. getting used to that. It yeah. may have been last year they changed it. Cha- yes. Chauncey Gardner, new double name. Like there, right. there are dudes I like on that Florida defense. There are individuals I like, but as a team, and look, I mean, the whole team was kind of going through right. a, a lot last year, and so um, you know, you are given. You, you got to come in and be like, all right, well, you know, Todd Grantham has known what he's done with defenses before. You know, he's got a couple players here that can be a big threat. I, I think they've got pass rushers. I think that there still could be a huge weak spot right in the middle of that defense. And if, you know, if, if someone needs to get tough yards up the middle, I think Florida will allow you to, to have them. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't know. Like, I, you're right. Their defense was pretty bad last year. But I also think, man, that was just a – that team didn't really wasn't really, wasn't really too invested by the midpoint of the season. Um, and I think so I, 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 I'm less I'm less skeptical that this defense will be a quality unit. Um, 
and and I do think that there's some guys that take a step forward. So I don't know. I look. Am I confident in, in nine and three? No, but I, I I like nine and three better than I like six and six or or even even seven and five. Yeah, hey, I've got eight and four. Yeah. Which again, we're talking about one. We're talking about the difference of one. I'm making big, bold declarations on the difference of one game in an SEC where you're guaranteed to have like no shortage of just bat, you know what results that just don't are inexplicable. Right. Yeah. No. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and Florida's got as many of those possible games on their schedule as anybody. I mean, there, <laughs> there there's going to be some weird ones for them. Yeah. For um, sure. So. All right, coming up later this week, what can you look forward to? We're going in the trenches. Uh, we loved doing the quarterback episode, and so we've got a very special guest, one which you uh, certainly will know and love. Uh, he will be joining us for a look at offensive and defensive lines. Um, we are going to continue to be Camp Buzzing. Camp Buzz is every single episode, so says Barton Simmons. So, uh, Barton, looking forward to it. Yeah, man, we'll do coaches eventually, too. We're going to have a deep dive on not just the head coaches, but the assistants and position coaches that you need to know in college football. That'll be uh, this week, maybe next week. Um, so, yeah, keep keep an eye out for that as well. Make sure that you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Martin, thank you very much. Yo. Yo.